Welcome back to the Essential Films Podcast, a podcast devoted to the discussion of the greatest movies ever made or the Essential Films. I'm Adolfo Acosta, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Senor Mark Espinoza. How are you doing today? Ain't no place I'd rather be than right here, right now. Oh, God. <laughs> I, wanted to, I, I want to punch that guy so bad. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad that uh, that uh, when Martin Polly came back, that they that he 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 punched him out. He, man, he kicked his ass, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we're going to get into our movie this week in just a moment. Uh, this is the essential films. Uh, as I said at the beginning, we're, we discuss here the greatest movies ever made. You know, we've discussed in the past. Uh, the, if this is your first episode, we've discussed Vertigo, Godfather, uh, Citizen Kane, uh, On the Waterfront, and on this week's episode. Um, we're going to be discussing the classic John Ford, John Wayne collaboration, The Searchers. But before we get to that, uh, just as a little bit of a catch-up, uh, uh, Mark, how have you been doing? What have you been up to lately? What, what, what movies have you been watching You know, in the theaters, on TV, on DVD? What, what have you been watching? Well, other than this masterpiece that I was able to revisit um, this time around, uh, I saw um, – with my job kind of kick it in, you know, during the summer night, it's been kind of hard to head to the theater, but I have been able to check out a uh, killing joke when it had its limited, uh, release a couple of weeks ago. And then I just this weekend, I checked out suicide squad, um, reviews forthcoming, but yeah. we'll, we'll be talking about that. I, I saw both of those films as well. Uh, I, I we'll, we'll be talking about those in, uh, in our upcoming episode of, um, a fourth perspective. Right. Definitely. Uh, but, but not, I mean, I'm not sure about what you thought of Suicide Squad, but I'm pretty thumbs in the middle on both of those movies. So we'll 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 get into deeper discussion on them in a little bit. Oh, definitely. But yeah, uh, me killing joke, I definitely enjoyed more than Suicide Squad. To be honest. Mm, okay. Um, I, I've been catching up with a couple of things. Uh, as, as you know, I have a little baby daughter. I've been introducing her to some movies, uh, some of the Disney classics. We just watched Dumbo recently. Um, Nice. And, you know, it's been a long time since I've watched Dumbo. I, I didn't realize how short it was. It's Yeah, it's, it's, it's like only about an hour long. Something. It's like 60 yeah. or 70 minutes. It goes by real quick. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's one that I've, I've been trying to get off the ground, too, for like my little sub-Disney show. that I, I, I watched Dumbo about like three times trying to do a recording for it, and it just never got off the ground. But, you know, um, yeah, definitely. Like Dumbo is definitely one of those, like, it's, I think only the fourth, the fourth film in, in the the animated Disney lineup. Um, and a lot of... <laughs> I always wanted to talk about it because I always want to make fun of the, of the crows. Well, the crows are so racist. <laughs> exactly. Well, we'll get to some racism later on here in this show. Oh, but, yeah, uh, we will. But yeah, those crows are super racist. <laughs> and I was like, huh, 
I can't believe you know, and it's funny. Now I've never seen the movie Song of the South, but apparently they uh Disney does not want to release that because apparently it has a lot of kind of a, a racist uh Yeah uh reputation. But I mean, is it worse than the Crows and Dumbo? Because those are pretty well, bad. Well if you really want to watch it, it's on YouTube, like the whole thing. It's in like seven parts. But Oh yeah, I know that there are ways to watch it. Uh and I'll, I'll get around to it. I've never have you ever seen Song of the South? Uh, not in a long time. I saw it when I was a kid, but I haven't seen it since because it's I mean, been hard to you know to track down. Since, yeah, I know so. everyone knows Zippity Doodah. Uh, that's the song yeah. for Song of the South. But uh, other than that, I don't remember anything. I've never seen that movie, or if I did, it was too long ago to remember. Um, but for, but for such a short movie like Dumbo, definitely has those like you know cutting onions moments. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it was just um. Uh, yeah, it just I, I didn't realize how short it was, I guess because I was a kid last time I saw it, so I didn't realize that it was really kind of a short film. Um, the other kids' movie I saw recently, I saw, caught, caught up with it on Netflix, was the movie Ants, which I did not like. <laughs> that movie sucked. The, 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 the Bugs Life ripoff. And it's such right? a weird – well, I don't know if it's a ripoff because they came out around the same time. Sometimes it happens with Hollywood where two yeah. concepts kind of go at – Go out at the volcano same time. Dante's Peak, and, Deep uh, Impact oh, Armageddon. Exactly, and th- and this is the same summer of Deep Impact Armageddon. This is uh, a Bug's Life and Ants came out, and I'm, and oh man, I just felt like the animation looked weird. It didn't look right. Like the 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 lip sync was way off to me. The I mean, I did enjoy the cast because the cast is really weird. It's it has Woody Allen and Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, and just two people you never think would be in the same movie. Um, but I just thought it was. Ugh, I hated it. I thought it was terrible. Like I, I do not remember. A thing from the plot. The I, the only thing I remember is because when when the movie was in theaters, I see the commercials. Like every other commercial was for this movie, and at the end when it had like the rating, like rated G or PG or whatever it was, it would be Stallone saying "You to Ant." Yeah, and that's it. <laughs> you know, that's all yeah. I remember from that movie is that line. It's in there, and it's stupid. It's bad. <laughs> it's a bad movie. Uh, what else did I catch up? Oh, I caught up with the uh, the player on Criterion. Uh, Not, is, oh, I did. I did the same thing uh, like about three weeks ago when I got it. Yeah, so. I got it. it was, I got it pretty much when I got it out of the package. I pretty much watched it right away because I'd actually never seen it before, so I wanted to catch up with it. And it's it's a great film. I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point in the future. But uh, I really, I really dug that film, especially the ending. God, the satire in that movie. You you could cut it with a knife, like how thick it is. You know, oh, it's, yeah. it's so I, awesome. I love that movie. I love that movie. It was really fantastic. Um, so I, I, that's a, that's a hard that's a hearty recommend for me is the criteria the Criterion edition of the player. Um, and the only other thing I'd talk about is um, I did catch up. I did finally watch the extended version of Batman v Superman. I watched it today actually. Uh, my my copy is still in its wrapping. I've um, not opened I, it. So. I, I will say this, uh, and, and I, I'm sure we'll we'll discuss it a little bit on Force Perspective in the future. But I will say this. Um, as far as the extended edition goes, it did not improve it. In fact, and I think it almost made it worse. Oh, really? Yeah. Because I'm, I'm hearing yeah, kind of the say, opposite. I, like the consensus like the opposite. It's better. I will but. say that some of the storylines are a little more explained. But by adding the 30 minutes, it just makes it longer and more boring. So, I, now, how uh, long is it exactly? Like it's three, three hours? hours. It's, okay. it's, it's three hours. Now, so it's still shorter than Watchmen. Yeah, well, I mean, some of that is like eight minutes of credits at the end, but so it's really, like really of content is maybe like two fifty two, you know. But uh, it, it's still long. It's so long, and I, I'm just, yeah, it, it's boring. I'm sorry, oh, it's, wow. it does not, it does not work. 
Anyway, uh, that yeah, yeah, I assumed he was gonna pull Watchmen, do like a four hour cut of this movie, because <laughs> like with, like with movies like Watchmen, movies like the extended Lord of the Rings movies, like you have to devote a whole day to watch those. But you know, I like up the whole day. <laughs> I do like the extended version of the Watchmen, and I do like the extended. version. I so do I. That, that, yeah, uh, I, I like the extended Lord of the Rings as well. I don't like the extended Hobbits though. Those are really those are way too long. <laughs> They'll seem pointless, right? Yeah, they're they're even more pointless <laughs> than the. Uh, and I ha- of course I own them because I'm a nerd and I have to do that. But uh, but yeah, the. Uh, uh, you know, I bought it to give it a chance, and I gave it a chance, and it, it's not it's not better. Oh, and also, also, just real quick, before we move on to, to our main topic here, since we're talking about movies we've seen, I also saw Sallow. I don't know if I should have Oh, yes, yes. I, I didn't want to hear about your experience with Sallow. Uh, yeah, that was not fun. <laughs> I meant to watch it. It's it, it's one of those movies that like you know I, I, I it's on my list of things I'm gonna have to watch at some point, but it's just oh yeah. Like, so you haven't seen it? Oh, I know enough about it. Okay. So like uh, I I've not I've I've seen what I need to see. Let me put it that way. Yeah. I've I, seen what I need to see, and uh, I I I I haven't taken the plunge and watched the full complete thing yet because I'm just like I don't know if I can deal with it. Yeah, it's just such an assault on the senses that, like, you know, by the end of it, you're just like, huh? And you kind of miss, like, what uh, what what the movie's going for, you know? Like, it, 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 it's, I, it's weird because I don't know if I really want to see it again, but I kind of do only because I'm fascinated with the message that it's trying to give. But it's like to have to sit through it again is like that's that's the only thing that's like I don't know if I want to touch that movie again. So um, I don't know um. I mean, as as a as a film lover, I'll probably watch it again. But it's just, you know, it's for those who don't know about it, just do your research first, please. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I realize that it's a um, it's a commentary on the fascist dictatorships and things like that. But yeah, I, I just I but like on first one, you don't really get that. You you just get like the horrible imagery, you know. And then after that, like you kind of once you start hearing analysis, you start reading up on it. You kind of see, okay, he was what by this he was trying to talk about fascism and all that. So, you know, but it's like because it's such an assault on the senses, you don't get it at first. You just see the horrible stuff, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I might, I mean, I'll have to re, I'll have to like actually give it, give it a real shot because when I, when I saw what I saw, it was when I was a much younger person and no. <laughs> and, and a little less hardened, you know, than I am now. Yeah. So. Maybe I can deal with it now. I don't know. Uh, kind of to the same extent was I don't know if I've ever told you this, but uh, I didn't watch the the 1986 Jeff Goldblum version of The Fly until I was well into my 20s because I had actually seen it upon its release because my dad never really gave paid attention to the 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 rating system, and he would just take us to movies sometimes. And he took me, who I was about five years old at the time, and my brother to see The Fly. Now, it's kind of a scary-ass movie if you're five years old. And all I remember was the, just, the grossness of the fly, you know, creature effects. And it freaked me out. And I was kind of traumatized by it. So I didn't actually rewatch it until I was well into my 20s. And once I watched it in my 20s, I was like, oh, this isn't that bad. <laughs> we all have one of those. Um, I saw Signs of the Lambs when I was five in the theater. I don't remember any of it, but I know I was there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I'm not saying The Fly isn't a good movie. It's a fantastic movie. But it's it's just that it wasn't as traumatic as I thought it was going to be. So maybe maybe I can handle Salo. I don't know. 
But you, you, I think you got a stronger stomach because you were also recently, like within the last couple of months, watched Cannibal Holocaust, which is another movie that I don't know oh, if I God. can handle. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, it, for different reasons, though, because I mean, if I mean, if, if you're familiar with, with like the behind the scenes of that movie, you know there was actual animal cruelty going on, and, that, and that's the stuff that I, I really can't. I, it's weird, you know, and I'm sure like 90% of the people are like this. Like you can stomach stuff happening to humans, but when an animal gets like butchered and slaughtered the way it does, then that's when you kind of get a little, not only upset emotionally, but like physically upset. So um, oh, totally. that, that happened a lot with, with, with that movie as well. Oh, I'll, I'll never forgive the movie Single White Female for killing the puppy. Oh, <laughs> I haven't Spo- seen that one, but I've heard about it. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh anyway uh so so w- uh, now that we're caught up a little bit let, let's talk about what we're here to really talk about uh the 1956 john ford john wayne collaboration the classic the searchers from the thrilling pages of life rides a man you must fear and respect a man whose unconquerable will and boundless determination carved a lusty, rough, and boisterous slice of history called The Searchers. It's John Wayne as Ethan Edwards who had a rare kind of courage. The courage that simply keeps on and on, far beyond all reasonable endurance, never thinking of himself as martyred, never thinking of himself as brave. So we'll find him in the end, I promise you. We'll find him. Here is a story of a man, hard and relentless, tender and passionate, of people who dared to challenge a hostile land. Here is drama of great love and aching loneliness. I found him. I found Lucy. What you saw was a buck wearing Lucy's dress. I found Lucy back in the canyon. What was she? What do you want me to do, draw you a picture? Spell it out? Don't ever ask me. As long as you live, don't ever ask me more. And if you don't hear my first holler, you better read my mind, because I don't aim to raise no two hollers on any subject at hand. Yes, sir. Boy, watch that knife. Go, Martin, please. Stand aside, Martin. No, you don't, Ethan. Ethan, no, you don't. Stand aside. Looks like you got yourself surrounded. Yeah, and I figure on getting myself unsurrounded. Let's go! if not the greatest western ever made it it certainly is um certainly is up there uh it's not my favorite western 
uh, I think my favorite western is probably Once Upon a Time in the West. But uh, it's all that's also spaghetti western, so so it's a little yeah. bit of a. Sometimes people don't count that. I don't know, but uh, so uh, just to run through some of the credits here, of the Searchers. Uh, it was released in March thirteenth, nineteen fifty six, by Warner Brothers, directed by John Ford, with a screenplay by uh, Frank Nugent, uh, based on the novel by Alan LeMay. Uh, it stars John Wayne, Jeffrey Hunter, Vera Miles, Ward Bond, Natalie Wood, and Harry Carey Jr. Uh, insanely. Insanely, no Academy Award recognition for this movie. And just to put that into perspective, the movie that won the Best Picture that year, Around the World in 80 Days. So uh, The one that nobody talks about anymore. Yeah. Um, uh, also, uh, it, did, it, did get a, it did get a couple of things. It won a Golden Globe for probably the most, uh, the most um, I don't know what you would call this, like the most forgettable award, which is the most promising newcomer, which went to uh, John Wayne's son, Patrick, who played the... Uh, the ca- <laughs> Pat Wayne, bro. <laughs> the, the cavalry guy at the very end of the movie for like three minutes. That uh, stabs Ward Bond in the ass, yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, it, it got a DGA nomination for Ford, didn't win. Uh, it did get uh, uh, recognized by the National Film Registry in 1989, so it was inducted there in the Library of Congress. Uh, and the AFI did recognize it a few times. Uh, it, it is number 12 on their 100 movies list, and it is their number one Western film on their top 10 Westerns of all time. Uh, over, our, over at my site, The Essential Films, I did recognize it in the 100 Greatest Films at number 46, and also recognize it with uh, 100 Greatest Movie Heroes with Ethan Edwards, even though he's kind of an anti-hero, mm-hmm. and yeah. the 100 Greatest Films to never win an Oscar. Uh, so, all that out of the way, uh, The Searchers, I gotta ask you, when did you first experience this film? Uh, ironically enough, it was I heard about it in college because it was part of um one of the uh, topics of the day we were talking about. We were talking about John Ford and his movies. Um, and I didn't get to see this. It's one of those other ones where I didn't get to see until I was in film school. Um, we were taking a uh, we were doing a uh, it was camera class, but we were talking about you know cinematography. And uh, this was the film that they showed for us. They played The Searchers because of the just stunning, stunning shots in this movie. Um, I mean, I even we can talk about it now a little bit. How I think when they asked Kurosawa, like who we studied, like did you study like you know Japanese paintings? Did you study this? You know who did who inspired you for your shots? He goes like I studied John Ford because John Ford just had like this the talent to create this just beautiful, beautiful imagery that I mean, in Peter Bogdanovich's view, nobody has ever like topped since so i think you know in that regard i think it was a perfect film to show when we're talking about cinematography just how to capture capture the moment you know yeah absolutely it is one of the most beautiful looking films uh i think ever made um i first experienced the movie in in film school in college um no no real big story behind it. it's just it was one of the films that we had to watch uh, for for the class, you know, I you know every every class I had in film school, like there was one that like the intro to film was basically like a, a list of like uh, almost like a list of the movies that we've been doing here uh, on this show. Uh, we did Casablanca, we did Citizen Kane, we did Godfather, we did The Searchers, uh, we did On the Waterfront. So it was just one of the one of the uh, films in the class that we had to watch. So, uh, but this is my first experience with John Wayne. This is the first John Wayne film I'd ever seen. Uh, mine was actually True Grit. Oh, was it? Okay. Did you yes. see that before or after the uh, the Jeff Bridges version? 
Uh, definitely before because I made it a point to see it after I heard the Coen Brothers were remaking it. So, okay, so you saw the original first, and then you saw the the remake. Yes, and then pretty side by side. I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, those both those films are pretty close as far as their adaptations, right? Yeah, I, I, would say, I know they they take some liberties, but uh, yeah, they exactly close. yeah, especially the the John Wayne one took more liberties than the Coen Brothers one. The Coen Brothers one, I think, was the closest adaptation to the book even with like the the grim ending to it so uh um but yeah they're, they're pretty close but um personally i can't really choose because i like both adaptations because they're both different um but if i had to pick like if you had a gun to my head i'd probably pick the uh, coen brothers i think first. i might pick the coen brothers one too and i, I actually love the, the original one but I, I might pick the first one too or sorry i might pick the coen brothers one as well yes uh anyway we're not here to talk about true yet so this is my first john wayne movie i'd ever seen um so, uh, and you know, John Wayne is one of those guys that he kind of permeates the culture, right? Like, you know who John Wayne is before you've ever seen a John Wayne movie. Because people do impressions of him. I mean, Robin Williams did impressions of him all the time. Uh, uh, yeah. And, and it, so he, he kind of is, um, I kind of expected a cartoon character. Like, just based on the way people exaggerate his his demeanor and certainly he certainly had a very distinctive way of walking and talking uh but it's certainly not as exaggerated as like comedians and and and, you know people who do impressions you know would do it but it was still like i kind of expected this caricature yeah that'll be the day (laughs) (laughs) i do love that line it's a good line that repeats throughout the throughout the film um, yeah, one of a one of a Ford's. Uh, run, I, I want to say it's a gag, even though it is kind of it's played for for laughs though. But yeah, it is one of those like running lines that he does throughout the film, like it's repeated at least like four or five times. Yeah, that's his. That's his. That's his little. Uh, uh, it's a little catchphrase for the film. Yeah. Uh, so so getting into the plot description real quick. So the Searchers is about uh, Ethan Edwards who comes home from the Civil War. Uh, back to his family, uh, his his brother and his and his his brother and his wife and and their and their and their kids um, after the Civil War, uh, and then he goes off to investigate some kind of shenanigans with the U.S. Uh, the Texas Rangers. I almost said the U.S. Marshals. I think they're the Texas Rangers. Uh, but when he comes back, uh, his whole family has been kind of killed and murdered by a, a, a band of Comanche Indians. The only one that did not get killed is uh, the, the smallest child, whose name is Debbie. Uh, and then he and his, um, it's, he, I, I say adopted nephew, but he's not re- like he didn't adopt them as part of the family, but his family uh, adopted him. So he's kind of, st- he's kind of family by default. Uh, nephew, Martin Polly, um, go off and search for Debbie. And the, the and the film takes, uh, takes place over the course of several years as they as they are constantly searching the the wild west uh, for Debbie and try to rescue her from the Comanche and that is the basic uh, plot summary of the film. Right, right, right. And uh, uh, I don't know if we mentioned it, but uh, Jeffrey Hunter is the guy, aka Jesus, is the guy who plays Martin Pauly in this movie. So I, mean, I, had, I had to I had to throw in a Jesus reference. Wait, what do you mean Jesus? Jeffrey Hunter's Jesus, dude. What do you mean he's Jesus? He played Jesus in King of Kings. Did he really? Yes, that I, was him. I did not know that. Although I haven't seen uh, King of Kings since Sunday school. <laughs> and that was like, I mean, I wasn't even. Our buddy Orson Welles is the narrator in it. I mean, I would have to say at l- almost 30 years I haven't seen that movie. Wow. And, and the only reason I remember this is because there's a Family Guy joke from, like, season one 
during the Christmas episode where like Stewie plays Jesus and he explains to the crowd. He goes like, you know, I'm playing a man like Jesus, a man portrayed on the screen by the likes of Jeffrey Hunter. <laughs> I always remember that line. That's, that's why whenever I hear his name, I think of that Family Guy gag. You know, I, I seriously have not seen that movie since I was in Sunday school when they made us watch it. So, well, uh, on Easter weekend they always played on on a uh, TCM. So, oh, do they? Like well, every I year, play, I always thought they played Ben Hur. They do. They play Ben Hur, King of Kings, greatest story ever told. Like all the uh, like uh, Jesus movies. Wait, is it, isn't that terrible remake coming out soon? Which one? Ben Hur. Oh God, I, dude, I forgot all about that. Thank God. <laughs> Not that I'm going to see it, but oh, I'm not like, watching it either. But I think it's out soon. I think it's. Just, I completely it's forgot about it. Like I, I saw, I, dude, I saw ads for that starting in May, and I haven't seen any in like the last month. On I, I could have sworn so. it's this month, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> back to the searchers. Um, so, so a little bit of history on this film. It was, um, it was uh, written as a book first, uh, and it was it's it's thought to be uh, inspired by real life events. Of uh, and I have it written down here: the uh, 1836 kidnapping of nine-year-old Cynthia Ann Parker, uh, who was apparently kidnapped by Comanche warriors, and then, much like in the film, she spent a good deal of time with them until she was a grown woman, and then she was found later by some Texas Rangers uh, as kind of part of the tribe, and and then was rescued against her will uh, at the time. So it kind of was inspired that, or it's thought to be inspired by that story. Right, right. I don't know much about that backstory, but I did you know, read about it. It was an uh, inspiration for the novel, which in turn inspired. Right, the film. it's an inspiration for the novel, right? Which then turned into the into the film. Um, so, so let let's get into it. Uh, this film, uh, I think, kind of right away. Um, and again, before getting into it, uh, folks. We always recommend that you watch the film before you listen to this podcast because this is a companion piece of the podcast be, uh, to the film because we will all we are going into spoilers uh, for and I know the film is at this point sixty years old but uh, we go into spoilers so you should always watch the film and then come uh, listen to the podcast so if you haven't stop the podcast watch the film and then come back so anyway we go right into it the uh, the opening shot I think is one of my favorite things in cinema history. Oh, you're not the only one that thinks that. I mean, it's just just the way it's set up. Like, and and it, it's a shot that he uses. I think another two or three times, especially at the end. I think he you kind of like uh well he bookends he reuses. It. Yeah, well, we'll get into the end, but like in this shot, he like he kind of like the the foreground is dark, but like to give more light to the background. And in the background, you see you know John Wayne. We don't know it's John Wayne yet, but you see Ethan. Um, you know, coming from the distance. You know, he's arriving home, and you can tell that uh. Martha, why did you say that name? Martha <laughs> oh, is uh, waiting for him, and that, that's such a great shot, great opener. Oh, such a great opener, and it's so beautiful. It's such a beautiful shot to see him, like just to see that door open up, and then that, like you said, it's dark on the foreground and light spilling in from the from the background, and see him coming up, and then and then it, it you know, you don't know who this is supposed to be, but you just see like the as the family kind of comes out on the porch to see to see him coming home. It's it's they're they're looking in anticipation of him coming home and it, uh, and again as and we'll get to it later it is it is set up a couple of times it's set up kind of towards the middle of the film I think I think it's whenever he's coming home uh, after him and um, Martin come back for like the first time after they've been out yeah. for a while and then the sec and then I think and then at the very end they merit 
like they they basically closed the film how they open it. Um, open opened it, yeah, yeah. So which I I love that 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 book ending of that. Um, so basically, this is when he's, Ethan is coming back from the war, and uh, he he's coming back to his brother and his uh, and his wife Martha, uh, Martha. Um, <laughs> so what do you think? So uh, what do you think? But we'll get into this a little bit. A lot of people have have kind of have the theory that Ethan and Martha have a past that's never actually communicated in words and dialogue on screen, but it's communicated in actions on screen. Well, here uh, to preface that, just a couple things. Number one, um, the thing to remember here when watching this film or any John Ford film, to be honest with you, is that um, Ford started out in the silent film era. Mm-hmm. So he kind of had to learn to kind of communicate things to the audience without sound, without words. So he does this a lot throughout his movies, especially in this movie, The Searchers, where he will con- try to convey like little undertones that nobody speaks of. You just kind of have – it's like blink and you'll miss it. An example here, just in this first scene here, is um, when Martha takes uh, Ethan's coat. And she kind of like stares at it and she kind of like, you know, kind of hugs his coat after she takes it into the room. And you're like, hmm. It's a blink and you miss it moment because when you see that, you're thinking, hmm, she must like care about him more than we're led on to believe in the beginning. And so there has to be some sort of past there. And it's so quick. It is so quick that I didn't catch it probably the first couple times I've seen this movie. It took like a while for me to be like, oh, what's going on there? And then, like having and then listening to like you know, people talk about it later. I was like, oh, okay. So what well, it did confirm, but there's not just that. There's also another moment uh, later, whenever, um, and I, I I believe uh, when on the Blu-ray that I watched, I believe it's Martin Scorsese who's talking about this in one of the special features. How that there's a shot set up, and this goes back to your point about how how Ford communicates things visually because of his background in, in silent film. There's a shot of of Ward Bond, you know, eating at like the the breakfast table there, and you know he's he's kind of drawing all the attention and minding know, his own business, and minding while, his own like, business. Yes, but in the background, there's this there's this shot of Ethan and Martha kind of silently communicating to each other, and then like they don't say anything, but it's it it speaks volumes, and and, and Ward doesn't see it. He's completely oblivious to it. And then right as he turns around, it's like, all right, now we're going. Exactly. I, I, I was going to bring up that scene because that was like part two of that whole thing. It's first the scene with the coat and then later on the breakfast when uh, when a Ward Bond <laughs> is eating the breakfast and he's just staring blankly like off into the distance while Ethan and Martha are having their little moment. <laughs> yeah. That's, that, that's a great – that's a great catch. Like it, it takes a, maybe the second or even the third view in the catch it, but once you catch it, it's like – it's it's an interesting moment there. Yeah, it's interesting why why he felt the need to include that in the story, um, because I guess uh, because I mean later whenever you see the um, you know whenever he does come back and uh, and everything is pretty much destroyed, <laughs> um, uh, he you know the the place is burning and I, I think it kind of lends a little bit of like extra bit of grief to to why. Ethan is so vengeful about this this whole thing. He would be right. anyway, right? But I think the one moment is that you know uh, when Martin comes back and he's trying to get run into the house, and then uh, Ethan punches him. He's like, "No, don't go in there," because if you know, yeah. basically, like I can't I can't see it, and I have to and I have to like, drag you out again, and I can't see that again. 
Yeah, so, I mean, if uh, if it's something that bad that like John Wayne doesn't want us to see, I don't want to see it either. And I, so, I, I think the implication is that they were that they were raped. I mean, I think that's the implication yeah. that they have. They, they, they and they never rape. actually say rape either. It's just, no, it's, it's implied. No, heavily in like the way they they talk about it and the way like especially after um I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but after uh, Ethan finds Lucy's body and the way like when he comes back and he sits down and he starts taking his knife and putting it into the sand. Like, he can't, he's coming to terms with what he just saw. Yeah. So you know it's something horrific. And, I mean, that kind of implies rape, but nobody ever says it's rape. Yeah, and then, and then later, like, the scene, next scene when, like, Harry Carey Jr. is, like, asking him about uh, about what he saw. And he's like, what, do I have to draw a picture Dude, for you? A picture, yeah. It's like, okay. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know what happened. Because, like, because he, cause he says, like, was she, was she, and then he, like, flips out on him. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, it's... Uh, it's fun. It's interesting because the film is this is 1956, and like the kind of the self censorship uh, that that Hollywood was kind of putting on itself was starting to loosen up a bit, and you can see it a little bit here with some yeah. of the themes that they have. Uh, I mean, it's it's I think it's pretty violent for the standards of the time. I mean, there's not like a ton of blood or anything, but it's for the for the if you were to compare it to other films of the time, it, it's it's a pretty violent film. Um, and plus with the dealing of the, the race relations and, and, and everything else. Um, and speaking of the race relations, the character Martin Polly, uh, one thing that I found interesting was that in the original book, Martin wasn't a, a quote-unquote half-breed. He was basically a white guy. Uh, and so they, made, so they made a specific choice to like give him, I think it's Cherokee blood or something. Like yeah. he's like an eighth Cherokee or something. So he's not even that much, but he's, he's got a little bit in him, right? Um, and enough to, to for Ethan to think that he that he looks enough of a half breed that that he doesn't like him, right? So it's an interesting choice to put in the film because you clearly want to deal with those themes. Ford, I think, clearly want to deal with those themes from the get go. Right, right, right. And uh, I, I remember the line. It's in like that whole beginning of the film where like uh, Martin comes home and he kind of sits down to to dinner with the family and they're talking about you know how. You know, we found you. We took you in after, you know, your parents, you know, who were engines were, were killed and all that. And it was uh, Ethan who found you. And then he says the line, you know, it just happened to be me. No need to make more of it. You know, so that's kind of the beginning. We're like, hmm, this guy seems like he's a little racist. And then that the board kind of builds upon that um, throughout the rest of the film, especially when you get to the scene after like the the farm is burned down where he, they find the uh, the uh Comanche corpse and he shoots the eyes out you know so what's that telling you first is that first like he knows about the Comanches more than we kind of suspected in the beginning he knows their culture like he knows their ways he knows their language which we'll find out even later on after that you know and at this point in the story like it's not so much more about you know finding the girl it's just about getting vengeance on these people that he considers inferior Another one, huh? Give me a hand, Charlie. This has come a long way before he died, Captain. Well, Ethan, there's another one you can score up for your brother. I don't like it. What don't you like? Engines on a raid generally hide their dead. And if they don't care anything about us knowing, 
it only spells one thing. They ain't afraid of us following or of us catching up with them either. You can back out any time you want, Nesby. Ethan, I didn't say that. Didn't say such. Easy, Nesby, easy. Jorgensen! <laughs> Why don't you finish the job? What good did that do you? By what you preach, none. But what that Comanche believes, ain't got no eyes, he can't enter the spirit land. Has to wander forever between the winds. You get it, Reverend. Come on, blanket head. You know? Yeah, I do love, I love that part where he shoots the eyes out. I, I think it's one of my favorite moments in the film that is such, that speaks so much about um, about Ethan as a character. Because he clearly is also a man that uh, I think, and I think it kind of ties in with the ending, who who feels like an outsider because Ward Bond, um, in addition to being like the, the head of the Texas Rangers, uh, he's also a preacher, a uh, reverend. Yes. Uh, and after he shoots the eyes out, he's like, well, what good did that do? And and then Ethan says something very interesting. He says, by what you preach, nothing. And then he goes into why, like, you know, if you have no eyes, you're going to be stuck in the spirit world and the Comanche belief system, whatever. But what he says is, by what you preach, nothing. Not by what we believe, but by what you preach. You so, preach. He, so to me, that tells me he's not a Christian. He does, He's not a Christian man. He's just, he, he, he thinks, like, I'm not going to say he's like an atheist, but he's... He's someone who doesn't believe in anything except maybe himself and his own moral code. So, and I think that kind of plays into the ending and why he's, I think, always feels like he's an outsider. Oh, yeah, that, definitely. Def- those are my, that's my take on that as well. And especially, um, like, it, it's like, like, just kind of build upon what you said. It's not so much that he's an atheist or he doesn't, like, have a religion. It's just, he, to him, he just exists. He has his own code and he just exists. You know, he, he just lives by, what his experiences, what he sees in life. Right. Um, so back, back to Martin. Um, so it, it, like you said, he, he's, you know, when he first meets him, he, uh, as an adult, you know, he kind of immediately shuts down though. I just, I'm just the one who found you. That's all blah, blah, blah. Uh, but he also kind of, uh, every time that, cause Martin was part of that family. Like he was an adopted member of the family. He wasn't blood relative, but he was an, he was adopted member of the family. Uh, but, and he would, he kind of took to calling him uncle Ethan at first. And he's like, no, I'm not your uncle. Don't call me that. Like, see, he wanted nothing to do with him, which, which is interesting when you go by to the, towards the end of the film, when he's like writing his last will and Testament, that he kind of starts to accept them and, yeah. and, and puts him in his last will. But even then that's a douche move because that's by default, you yeah. know? Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, I have nobody else, so here you go. When he when he does, but he just can't accept it. But we'll get to that later. That's true. He does have someone else. He think he and his. Well, yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. So, um, as we said, Debbie is uh, 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 the only surviving member. She's kind of taken by the command. Uh, and you know what? I, I kind of thought to myself um, when they get back to the burning homestead. Did did you kind of did that kind of remind you of uh, of Star Wars a little bit? Do you think that's where Lucas kind of lifted that that imagery from? A little bit. Now that you mention it, now that I'm really thinking about it. You're absolutely right. When that Luke, is very when... very reminiscent of the uh, when Luke returned to the to the homestead and found Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru burned. 
to yeah, a corpse. It, now, now you don't see the corpses here in this film, but like it just the just the the imagery of someone coming back uh, to find that their home has been destroyed by like this renegade force. Like it just seems it, it just it's maybe I'm reading too much into it. It just I feel like maybe Lucas. I mean, was a film brat, so like it, it, it yeah. would it would makes sense that he would have watched this film and, and kind of paid tribute to it. Although his his influences were more like the Kurosawa's, but I, I, I certainly don't I certainly think that he could have been influenced by Ford too. Well well you may, it makes sense because if if you really think about it, it was remember, uh I think Bogdanovich talks about how like when this song came out it was largely like it was insignificant to the critics at the time. I mean it was a good movie, but it was like nothing more than just like a good forgettable movie. It wasn't until like the seventies came along with the new Hollywood and people like him and even like, you know, Lucas is part of the new Hollywood that like they kind of started appreciating it more because they remembered it from when they were younger. And then it kind of brought appreciation, the rightfully deserved appreciation, you know, into the spotlight for this film. Yeah, absolutely. And just on a, a bit of a tangent, have you ever read the book Easy Riders Raging Bulls? I, I I own the book. Oh, great. It's a great book. I just I bought it on uh, uh, on audio. uh uh, the audiobook version of it, and I listened to it on a road trip recently. It's fantastic, and it it's such absolutely. a great history lesson for anybody yes. out there. Uh, it's a fantastic history. It goes to everything, pretty much like what it says in the title. Everything from uh, from the period around Easy Rider with uh, Dennis Hopper and Peter Fonda up through it goes past Raging Bull. It goes into a little bit into the uh, a little bit past Raging Bull, um, but it, it's uh, it, it pretty much covers that entire period of the 1970s. Uh, New Hollywood uh, era. Uh, you know where it ends. It ends. It, it ends around uh, when Michael Cimino made Heaven's Gate. I think that's where yes. it ends. Um, where, which a lot of people point to. Oh being my the, god! The end of it's the like New I Hollywood haven't era. watched that yet because it, I want to buy like the, uh, the the Criterion version. I but the Criterion like, version I'm so curious beautiful. about that movie. Me too. I've it's... never seen it. It's it's one of my it's one of my films like. Uh, it's one of the gaps in my film education that I haven't gotten to yet. Is is yeah, is especially after great. Camino passed away. I think just a couple months ago he passed away. Yeah, think, it was right? pretty. It was pretty recently. It's pretty recently. So it's like I, I after that happened, I was like, I now I, I really need to see this. You know, like I really need to like appreciate this because Deer Hunter is one of my favorite movies, but like I have, I have yet to see this one, and it's so infamous that like you know I'm surprised I waited this long. Yeah. I, I, I'll get to that one at some point, but anyway, um, back back to what you're back to what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, it, it, I do believe it, it. Just seems like that shot is like something that probably burned into George Lucas's head, and 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 he kind of used it in in, in Star Wars. It just kind of reminded me of it. Yeah, which which makes sense. Um, so and and thus after this point, we have uh, Martin and Ethan basically starting their uh, the titular search. Uh, for Debbie throughout uh, throughout the film, and it take I mean, and and what I think is interesting is the film uh, takes place over several years, uh, but it I think the film really it's edited very well because yeah. you know the way they kind of explain the time lapses and stuff is very well done. Yeah, it's almost the film's very seamless. Like if you're watching it for the first time, and like I hate to say half paying attention, but like I'm I'm just trying to make a point. Like, if you're half paying attention to what you're thinking, it's all happening within, like, a month, you know? But, like, when you start actually seeing, you know, um, in the beginning, Ethan, you know, looks younger by the middle to the end of the film. Like, you can start seeing, like, the gray hairs. And, I mean, that's a visual cue that, you know, a lot of time has passed. Um, and then even uh, Ethan, later on near the end of the film, he talks about, you know, he, he ha- it's been five years, you know, he's been wanting to get us or something like that, talking about Scar. So, um, 
And then, you know, with the uh, – I love the montage scene with the letter that uh, Martin sends to Laurie. And, like, they read the letter and they they kind of talk about, like, what happened in that time period. That was a great – that was a great uh, narrative technique, I think. That was, that's probably my favorite one of, like, the, the, the flashbacks. And oh, it's, it's really well done because um, it's – well, first what it does is, you know, it has – uh, Vera Miles reading the reading the um, reading the letter out loud, and then her narrating it, and then it's switching to Martin's voice, right? And then yes. you seeing and, and instead of like seeing the like, and I forget who's the, there was a special feature in, uh, on DVD, and I'm not sure if it was uh, John Emilius or Martin Scorsese who said it. Instead of seeing like the wavy lines to 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 tell, to tell you it's a flashback. It just cuts right to it. Yeah. And then you just have, like you said, the narration of, of the letter reading and you just see what happens. Uh, and it's kind of a little bit of a funny moment because that's what this, like, uh, on their on their search, Martin accidentally marries an Indian squaw uh, when he thinks he's now, buying, now, buying a Now, blanket. is it wrong of me? Is it wrong of me to say that I laughed when uh, Martin kicked the, the woman down the hill? That was a little mean. Come on. <laughs> that was mean. <laughs> Poor Luke. You know that's grounds for divorce in Texas. Poor Luke. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's, that's a little wrong. It's a little wrong. Yeah. Nowadays it's a little wrong, but I'm sure they got a big laugh. Oh, I'm sure it, it did. I'm sure it did. Because the whole movie is pretty um, pretty tense, except for, like you said, those moments of humor, which I have to admit, they didn't all work for me. Um, I, I, I like that moment. That was pretty good. But you notice immediately after that moment is – is it gets super deadly serious again because because yeah. he starts arguing the with buffalo. Ethan. They say they say that the, he says the word scar, and then she's like, then he, they know. Oh, she knows that name, and then they do the thing with the buffalo, and yeah, um, it, it's uh, uh, but I I don't like the guy. What is the guy's name that's trying to court Vera Miles? Is his name? Uh, it's Charlie something. I, it's I know it's Charlie. I forgot his last name though. But he, isn't he like War Charlie McCory? There you go. Oh my God, that guy got on my nerves so bad. With the, with the southern drawl the that ho, even ho, that you could tell was like so fake. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. like that whole thing. It's like, oh dude, shut up. <laughs> Martin's found himself a wife. <laughs> <laughs> like I get that he was supposed to be annoying. I understand that. But I hated every time he was on screen. I hated it. And like, even though like it's kind of a a a, a, a not a cool move for for uh, Martin to come back and like basically steal uh, <laughs> steal Laurie away from on the wedding on their wedding day for that matter. It's still like you kind of root for him anyway because Charlie's such a like oh, I can't stand him. Could not stand him. That, uh, but it's so funny, bro. The, the the best line from that guy isn't like, you know, that I'm happy to be here that I said earlier. is where he goes like, take your hands off my fiancé. <laughs> the way he says fiancé, like fiancé. That's like, that, that cracked me up. <laughs> that's a great line right there. And I think even Bogdanovich said it's like his favorite line from the movie. <laughs> um. But yeah, so you have some of those moments. In here. I mean, like there was something else that didn't, that bugged me. Uh, I thought at the very end when you had um... oh by the way not not to cut you off but that fight between uh, Marty and uh, and Charlie was freaking awesome. <laughs> the fight was good. The fight was they, good. They, they they were being like after you you know at the beginning out the door then they was taking off his hat and his coat he was helping him take off the coat. And then when the when Ward Bond was like no biting and gouging he gives him a freaking like test 
boot to the face. <laughs> it was like, oh, that's a great fight, by the way. And it was all played for laughs, but it's like, it's so awesome. That fight is so awesome. That, that is pretty good. That is pretty good. Um, I don't know. I just felt like some of the humor was a little, it felt a little out of place to me. But that's my only real beef with the film. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I agree with you to an extent, but like, I kind of could tell like when he was trying to break tension with humor, and most of it worked. Um, I can't really say right now because I'm trying. I'm trying to remember the film right now, and a lot of the humorous stuff that he tried to play for less, like for example, like Laurie's father. Uh, it was a part after she read the after she read uh, Marty's letter that he just takes her letter and puts it in his pocket, which I thought was funny. Um, and then, like I said, the fight between Marty and Charlie was was hilarious. And then. Um, the partner that end with Ward Bond and Pat Wayne doing their thing was awesome. See, that that's that's the one part I really don't like. I don't like the whole Pat Wayne Ward Bond thing. Like it just it was really distracting because we're right about we're about to go into like the the climactic final scene and we got like Ward Bond getting poked in the butt with a sword. I'm like, really? <laughs> like it's so it's just kind of dumb. That's like no, my favorite part. My favorite it. part from that is when uh, uh when a uh, Ward Bond goes like, you know, mount mount M O U T E mount. You know, <laughs> obviously misspelling mount, but I'm sure that was like uh that was something that Ford noticed and I, and and Bogdanovich talked about this too. Like a lot of the st- little flubs that actors would do or like some of the little mishaps that would happen like with props and stuff he would just leave in just for laughs you know well what i think is funny is that they the the one thing i do think is amusing that they did was with the one that with the pat wayne scene at the end is when he comes in and he's got like that whole speech memorized that he's trying to spit out the ward bond and, and john wayne basically were interrupting him on purpose like like that wasn't part of the script that was them yeah, like they were trying, ripping him trying to get him to like mess up it was uh, a rib. It was, yeah. It, yeah, it was a rib to try to get him in, like, and that was what made it to the film. Um, so it was kind of improv, almost, uh, just to try and get him to, you know, to to kind of come off as like this wet behind the ears, you know, cavalry man, cavil, yeah. cavalryman. Is that <laughs> cavalry. I don't know. Yeah, that's a... yeah. He certainly looks like a Yankee. <laughs> I take offense to that, sir. <laughs> Pat Wayne. Did Pat Wayne ever do anything else? Uh, not that I know. I can't think of anything else. Let me look. He, he uh, well, he's he's got a seventy-four film credits. So oh, well then he did plenty of stuff. Shut me up. Uh, clearly, he didn't uh, didn't have the career his father did. But uh, he's in a couple of his uh, father's movies. He's in the he's in the oh my god, he's in the uh, the much maligned movie The Conqueror. You know about The Conqueror? No, I don't. Oh man, this is uh the one of the worst, uh, possibly most racist things ever committed to film. Uh, I've never seen it. I just know it by reputation. It is the John Wayne plays Genghis Khan movie. What? Oh God, I'm serious. He plays Genghis Khan. Uh, it's a Genghis Khan biopic with John Wayne as Genghis Khan. Complete. That- with- Complete with 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 uh, racist slanty eyes and everything. Are you putting me on? No, man. Look it up. <laughs> look it oh, up. Oh wow! Uh, well, I, I I will do that after this. Um, uh, I've never seen it. Uh, uh, IMDb has it listed as three point four out of ten. Uh, you can buy it on disc at Amazon, so it's out there to purchase. Uh, it's <laughs> it's apparently um, a lot of people kind of 
uh, say that this is the reason that, that John Wayne got cancer because they filmed it out in the desert in Utah where they did a lot of the nuclear testing and stuff. Oh, and a lot of people think that the, he contracted cancer because of this, because of the filming he did out there. I don't know how much truth there is to that, but I guess I guess karma. Yeah, I, but if you I look, call it karma. You, if you look at if you look if you look at the cast list, there's like not one Asian among them, man. It's all these Four. white people. Well, it was that time. <laughs> Even Bogdanovich talked about it here with the whitewashing. Well, I mean, so. let's face it. Scar was uh, what was the actor's name there? Uh, Henry something, I think. Henry Henry Brandon. Yeah, I mean, there you go. Not exactly. Not exactly the <laughs> Indian name. Yeah, I, I, he he looks he looks like a guy that just went on the tanning booth. He looked just as ridiculous as Charlton Heston in Touch of Evil. Uh, oh, but... <laughs> which, which I actually still have here. I love no, and I love plastic. Touch of Evil. I love Touch of Evil, but it, I, I, I still have that here wrapped in the plastic. I haven't opened it yet, but uh... but Touch of Evil is an amazing movie. But let's be real, Charlton Heston looks ridiculous in that film. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's all spade a spade. Oh, and to kind of touch on your earlier point, I actually did a search for searchers around you know, on Google, searcher Star Wars, and I found the uh, reference you talk about with uh, with A New Hope. And there was also another one somebody brought up with Attack of the Clones when Anakin goes to find his mom, then he kills the the, the Sand people. So I know how much you love Attack of the Clones. So I figured I'd throw that oh, in Oh, yeah. There. It's the greatest one of all seven films. <laughs> it's the greatest one. And if by greatest I mean the worst one, then yeah. Yeah, it, like it's it's Anakin massacres the, the kidnappers in Vengeance, much like the Searchers climactic battle in the Comanche camp. So there you go. So huh. two Star Wars movies reference the Searchers. I like the other Star Wars reference. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, so... Uh, where were we in the in the kind of the overall plot plot here? Uh, uh, they so basically the, the, the we're talking about the uh, the the letter the montage and oh, then yeah, the, went the into the uh, to the to the look we were making fun of her a little bit but, yeah uh. <laughs> which you know it, it kind of leads them it, basically the, the the it ends up being that they they get kind of closer to the trail of Scar um, and uh, you know it, it's. The film, the majority of the film is really just them on this search, right? Um, with kind of, they occasionally will come back to, uh, oh, actually, here's something I have a question for you. The guy that he kills um, in the Fireman? campfire. Yeah. I, maybe I missed it, but why was he going after him in the first place? I think they they implied that Butterman was going to steal the $1,000 in gold that he was supposed oh. to give. I guess that makes sense because I... yeah, because when he when he went to go see Futterman because he said he had info on Debbie, you know, he wasn't going to give him. He goes like, you know, I'm not giving you the thousand till I find her or something like that, right? So right. Like, well, you got to give me something for my time for my information. So he gives him like what twenty, no, not twenty, like three pieces of gold or something. He goes like, you'll get the thousand when I find Debbie, and then it's implied that he tried to steal the thousand, and that's why uh, John Wayne shot him. But he left a. Uh, Marty out there as bait. Yeah, I did like that's a great scene, and he's like, yeah. "I'm just trying to say good night to you." Just trying to say good night <laughs> to you. <laughs> oh, Ethan, I'm burning up. Oh, that's a great scene. That's a because the second you know, because you know when he's doing it, but you're like, "What is he up to?" He's up to something. Yeah, <laughs> and he's like, "God, oh, Ethan, I'm burning up." Oh. That's a good scene. That, that's the only thing I was confused about is why Futterman was trying to kill him. But that makes sense. That does make sense. He's trying to get the money from him. And then I like it after he kills him, he steals the money back. Exactly. He steals his like five five gold coins or whatever it was. Whatever it was, in the yeah. First place. He takes them back. Um, 
But so eventually, um, they uh, they they get on the trail of Scar, and they see that uh, they do find Debbie. And uh, when they, uh, w- with the help of this uh, this this uh, Mexican dude, that's a uh, pretty <laughs> that's pretty amusing. Um, uh, and uh, they do find Debbie, and she's you know it's been like five or six years at this point, and she's grown up. She's a teenager, and she knows that they know she recognizes them, you know. And and but at this point, you know, uh, Ethan does not. Ethan thinks she's she's dead to him. She's she's now a Comanche in his eyes, you know, and the, and it's kind of uh, actually right before this scene that that, um, that they get that that tip where they go to the where, where do they go where they find all those those white women that that were kind of rescued from them? Oh, that's like the uh, the the uh, cavalry base. Isn't yeah, it? the like cavalry outpost. base. Yeah, it's like an outpost or something. Yeah, and, and and you know he kind of goes in there thinking maybe they'll find Debbie in there, and he he doesn't find them. And it, and at one point he goes, "Dang!" The guy goes, "Well, it's hard to believe that they're white," which is kind of a racist line, yeah. um, but because uh, they're all kind of crazy and and like kind of shell shocked. And he goes, "They ain't white; they're Comanche." And like the camera does this great zoom in and close up where like his like his face is all dark, but you can just tell like you can see like the just pure hate yeah, in his eyes that's that's his worst fear that he's watching like this is what he fears that De- what happened to debbie like his yeah. worst fear is being projected onto these uh these women who are obviously like traumatized and shell-shocked from their time with the with the indians and, and it almost comes true because when he sees her he sees she's a comanche now like that he's she's not white anymore which yeah, leads- when he talks to marty you know she goes like you know those these are my people now yeah and at that point i'm sure that's what set it off with it like you know yeah she, she has to die yeah <laughs> So so whenever they kind of escape that whole situation and, and uh oh and oh, before actually before we get to that he when he meets Scar face to face and they kind of go to like their little powwow part of the pun uh he says you speak good english for a command and then Scar kind of replies back to him you speak good command for uh uh someone te- no he goes for a white, for a you white speak good man, english man. someone teach you and then he goes you speak good command someone teach you that's yeah. what it is uh and so it, what what I like about that is that that Scar and Ethan are basically alter egos of each other. You know yes. what I mean? Like, as much as he hates Comanche and what he represents, like, Scar is just the Comanche version of Ethan. It's like the mirror image, essentially. Right, and and that's really punctuated with that, because they basically know each other's cultures, you know? But they know each other's cultures because they hate that culture so much. And then and, when they're together in the tent, you kind of see, you know, Sc- Scar has his own motive, vengeance motivations. You know, he lost like he says, like he lost like two sons to white men, and for every for every son he loses, you know, he takes and like. And then the guy, the Mexican guy, says scalps. So it's like you know, Ethan has his own you know plans for vengeance, and so does Scar. So th- like I said, or like we said, they're essentially mirror images of each other. Right. In motivation and like personality, it seems. Right. So, you know, it's, it's after this point, you know, they kind of escape the the Comanche, and and that's whenever they're kind of stuck in that cave, and uh, he tries to write his last will and testament. And like you said earlier, like you alluded to earlier, he has softened up on Martin, but the only reason he's doing it is because he has now written Debbie out as a blood relative. Like, he does not believe that she's a blood relative anymore, so the only person he thinks he has left is Martin. Yeah, that's a great moment, too. You know, when he's reading, he's trying to read the will, and then 
he goes like, you know, what do you mean you got no blood relative? You know, what what's Debbie? She's like, she she's no blood relative to me anymore, or something like that. And he goes like, well, you can take your stupid will or something. And he goes like, I you know, he goes like, I I wish you dead. He's like, goes, that'll, be the, that'll day. be the day. Yeah. But I love I love the fact that like he's he's acknowledging that he's gonna die, and then he's like, I wish you dead, and he's like, no, that'll be the day. <laughs> Such <Yeah>. a dick. <laughs> um. So at this point, they, they do get back to the uh, the Jorgensons where they interrupt the wedding. <laughs> uh, and they, this is where Ethan finds out he's got a, a, a – not necessarily a warrant, but he's, he's wanted for questioning for the, the, the death of Futterman. Uh, yeah. and, um, but that's whenever they uh, – you, know, you know, he convinced them to go out back out to get to the to Scar. The cavalry come in, and then this kind of leads to the whole kind of climax of the film. Yes, yes. Yeah, our boy Pat Wayne comes in <laughs> saying that there's going to be, like, they're going to get reinforcements, like, at dawn and that they need their own, like, group to come out to, to the Comanche camp and whatnot. And then, yeah, that, that's, that's the beginning of the climax. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we get the climax. It's a great – when I kind of – when you watch it, like, the stunt work in that this, – this like, on the raid on the camp is kind of amazing. And there's some, there's some shots that I'm watching and I'm like, all right. They actually had to put a camera there for to get this shot, and that looks like a dangerous shot to get. You know, and I granted, I know there's experienced stunt riders and everything there, but some of those shots were like crazy. Yeah, a lot of those, uh, a lot of those uh, cavalry shots, like when you see like the horses and all of them like riding together. You know, that was all on dollies, obviously. Yeah, you know, the long tracking shots with dollies, but I don't know if they they were on like a on a car or like some sort of like you know something like something that with the dolly on it that that they can get the shot but like yeah it's really amazing it really gets you into the moment and i re- remember also uh bogdanovich talking about how like four never liked to rehearse that rehearse action scenes like he would ask him about that and he goes like well you know you can't really rehearse action scenes because you know somebody could get hurt you know and then you know everything's ruined so like when you watch ford films not just the searchers but you watch any ford film and you see like the action scenes like it feels fresh because most likely you know they were doing it for the first time. Right. Um, so at this point, what I find interesting is that it's Martin that kills Scar and not Ethan. Yes. But uh, he puts the finishing touches on it, though. But Ethan certainly does. Yeah, he just puts the finishing touches on it. But um, it, it, it's I just find that interesting that it's it, that it's that it's uh, Martin because you would think thematically it would be Ethan. But it, it's it's Martin. Martin kills him. Uh, and then uh, you know he try he he then takes uh, Debbie away to to save him to save her from Ethan basically, uh, yeah. but Ethan again like you said he he leaves his own finishing touch and he and he scalps him he scalps Scar and it's really again you don't see it but it's a violent it's it's violent imagery because you see him like looming over the body and taking his knife out and then you see him going down with his knife so there's no doubt about what he's gonna do like yeah. you don't actually see it but there's no doubt what he's doing. Yeah, I almost feel like like just talking, you know, in kayfabe. Like I'm sure when Ethan saw that Scar was already dead, that's when he decided to scalp. I don't think that was his plan to begin with. I'm sure he wanted to kill him, but once he saw that Martin already did it, he's like, you know what? I have to leave my touch on on this guy too. So that's when he decided to scalp him. Right, and then of course we get the the the, the really the, the the emotional climax. Um, Ethan goes after Debbie because he feels like he needs to kill her. Uh, he he gets past Martin. He finds Debbie, he corners her, and then he does something which, you know, as he sees her, like, 
instead of killing her, he like he much like the beginning of the movie when he lifted her up and was yes. like, "Look how much you've grown." He lifts her up again, and then in the same position and says, "Let's go home." Now, if this had been like a contemporary, like if the searches were being made today, and like you know by by post eighty sevens, as Brandon Draven likes to say, um, when that scene happened, you would have immediately had like a little flashback scene to the uh, showing the beginning when he picked her up. Like here, at least in this time, they expect you and kind of trust you to remember that. So when you see Ethan picking Debbie up, you know, as an adult, you immediately think, oh, just like in the beginning, you know, when he picked her up as a little girl, you know, it's like, it's like the whole thing is coming full circle, you know, but you can tell, like, if this had been made today, they would have shown you that scene to kind of remind you. But here, um, Ford didn't have to because he trusted you to remember it. Exactly. Uh, and it, and it's, it's such a, it's such a, a like a, it's a it's a beautiful bookend to the beginning of the film, much like the end of the film itself was a bookend to the beginning of the film. Um, and it's I just love I love that imagery. Um, and then of course we get the final scene. We get everybody coming back to to the Jorgensen's uh, ranch, you know. And it's it's kind of a, it's a happy ending. You see uh, Debbie kind of being taken in by the Jorgensen, who's who've lost a son. You know, they, who was played by Harry Carey Jr. at the beginning, who was dating Lucy. Uh, they've lost a son. They they're kind of you know, welcoming Debbie. I think they're going to take her in as part of her own. You know, uh, Martin reunites with uh, with Lori. They're you know presumably going to go off, get married. Everyone's happy, and everyone goes into the house. And then you see the camera is like pulling back into the house with the uh, much like the beginning of the film, black in the forefront. And there's Ethan standing in the doorway, and he realizes he doesn't belong here. He's done, and he just turns around and walks away. And walks away. And I love that ending. It's one of my favorite endings of all time. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's pretty powerful, you know. And it kind of just kind of if the film throughout this whole journey, this whole epic, didn't give you the sense that like Ethan's a loner. It's just this last shot kind of puts the nail into your head. Like, yeah, this guy's kind of meant to be alone. Yeah, and he, he just he walks off into, and then that's where the movie ends. That shot is, I think, very influential. I think the most famous recent example i can think of it is that they replicated that shot in um uh inglorious bastards quentin tarantino did at the very beginning at the at the farm at the frenchman's farm oh that's right okay that yeah that's a good one i i haven't watched Inglorious bastards in about a year or so now but uh it, i like catching stuff like that you know once you know once when, once it hits you yeah i i feel like this is a very influential film overall um i think this is probably my favorite John Ford film. It's probably my favorite. Let me think. It's my favorite John Wayne. I think it's definitely my favorite John Wayne film. So um, let, let's talk a little bit about some discussion points I have here. Uh, John Wayne. I think he's kind of has a reputation of not being a great actor. Um, and I would agree with that. I don't think he's a great actor. But you know what I think he's good at? He's really good at being John Wayne. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If that makes any sense. Uh, having seen him in several movies now, like... I think he's really good at being that kind of character, you know, and I think this is probably his greatest performance. Uh, I might be inclined to agree with that, although I actually really do love him in uh, in uh, Stagecoach. I actually, that was the last, um, the last, and when I say last, I mean most recent, uh, Criterion film that I bought because I was the last one I decided to buy as part of their uh, 50% off sale. But Stagecoach is actually... Um, that's another one that they showed us in film school, and another one that uh, I really, really like John Wayne's performance in that one. And then seeing him in The Searcher, seeing him in uh, 
in True Grin and many, many, many other films. Um, I'm kind of more privy to Stagecoach myself, but I can't make an argument against you that this was an absolutely great performance by John Wayne in this in Searchers. Well, Stagecoach is certainly like that's the film that made him a star because he was working regularly before that. Um, but for whatever reason, his performance is the Ringo Kid and Stagecoach, and with especially that fantastic shot of when you first introduce him, where you kind of go up from like the boots up to the, you know, yeah. like of that that from the boots up to his face. That sh- like that film like put him on the map as like the icon, right? Um, that was his breakout role, even though he had been working for a while. Um, so I mean, I can't argue against Stagecoach too much. I just think the Searchers is is my favorite out of all of them. And I'm um, sure John Wayne would 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 say the same thing as far as like movies he's done with with John Ford. You I know, thought, he'll say like the Searchers is his favorite. Yeah, I, I was about to say I think this is his favorite one. Um, uh, it's, uh, that he did with Ford. I'm not sure if it's his favorite movie he's ever done, but I, I think it's yeah. his favorite one he did with Ford. Yes. Um, the other thing I want to kind of discuss that's the uh, the. The cinematography by by Winton uh, Hoach, I think is how you say it. But uh, not only that, but the, the cinemascope, which is kind of the widescreen, uh, techn- you know, the, what they had for widescreen back then. But not just that, um, but also using um, Monument Valley uh, as basically a character in the film itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he used that place a lot, didn't he? It seems he did. Like He's a, using that was like a, his favorite spot. Yeah. He's in Stagecoach, he used it here, he used it in many, many other films, at least according to Bogdanovich. Because, I mean, there's a lot of John Ford's filmography that, I mean, when he was going through the list, I was like, I, I haven't even heard of any of these films, you know? So I kind of felt a little ashamed. But uh, he did talk about how, like, Monument Valley was pretty much, like, his favorite place to shoot. There was something just so real about, about that place. Um, and, and you can tell, like, it, it is such a beautiful landscape. It's, it's beautiful. And I think you see it, don't you see it in Back to the Future 3? At the... Isn't, isn't that where they so. shoot it? I'm not sure if that's where they shoot it, but I don't know if maybe they're trying to make an allusion to, like, maybe they you are. know, Bonnie McBally, yeah. I thought that's where they shot it. Um, but it, it just looks so, even today, and it just looks so cool. Um, I, I've never, I don't know if anybody shot there recently any films, but it's it just such a cool uh, a visual and landscape uh, to use there. Um, yeah, that's on my bucket list to visit one day. Yeah. Like, for real. Um, the, uh, and the other thing I kind of want to discuss is that Ethan Edwards, um, not really a hero. He's more kind of the definition of an anti-hero. Uh, he's, he's the guy who's doing something noble, but he's not really a noble person. Yeah, and I think uh, Scorsese talked about this too where he goes like, you know, you, you see the character of Ethan Edwards and – you can't help but like admire him in a way because of the way he kind of presents himself, the way he's on this like noble quest, you know, to find Debbie. You know, like his actions are admirable, but like as a human being, he's kind of despicable, which kind of gives this his character like a whole new dimension. You know, like you can appreciate what he's trying to do, his actions, but hate the person because yeah, the person himself, the racist, is kind of despicable. Yeah, and it, it's, um. It's it's really kind of fascinating that you you really get behind the man, but you really can't agree with anything that he says, you know, because he it, it's like because he is such a despicable racist, but he does things. But by the end of the film, he does the right thing, you know. Um, it's like you're rooting for him to win to you know to to get what he what he has to get. 
but it's like you can't bring yourself to like him, but right. you can root for him. Right. Um, as, as, as we know, uh, John, John Wayne eventually did win an Oscar. He won it for True Grit. Um, but I think this is really what he should have won it for. Because, uh, as I said, this is my favorite of his performances. Yeah, like, it's it's very weird, you know, considering, like, how revered this movie is that, like, back then, it wasn't even considered for anything. And and it kind of brings it back to the point I made earlier, where contemporarily, like, it, people thought it was a good film, like, critics thought it was a good film, but, like, nothing more than that, you know? It wasn't until the 70s where, like, its greatness kind of started becoming reverberated. And now it's the classic that we all know and love. Yeah. So um, that's The Searchers. Uh, I think we both can give it a, a hearty recommendation. Oh, absolutely. Um, Seven you, thumbs up. <laughs> if, if you enjoyed The Searchers, I have like a list of recommends for you here. A little bit of a new feature I'm adding here to the to, to, to the to the show uh other... barnes and nobles does like when i buy uh, my criterion films i get a little receipt saying if you like if you like stagecoach you'll also like yeah. and then it gives you like four films so so, so sp- red river <laughs> so speaking of stagecoach if you enjoyed this film here's some other john ford john wayne collaborations that you might enjoy stagecoach uh the man who shot liberty valance which is an excellent film also stars J- jimmy stewart uh the quiet man which is not a western uh, but I'm not sure if you've ever seen it. It, it takes place in Ireland, uh, and it's about uh, John Wayne as a kind of a retired boxer. It's more of a love story. Uh, it's actually pretty good. And uh, How the West Was Won. Uh, and for other John Wayne films, we mentioned True Grit. I'd also recommend Red River, Rio Bravo, uh, which is one of my favorites, and uh, The Longest Day, which is about uh, the invasion of Normandy. Uh, do you have any other recommendations you'd like to add to those? Uh, high Noon. If you like Westerns, I got High Noon is my favorite Western, so you got to see that one. I mean, other than that, like all your recommendations are pretty spot on. Uh, now, where can you watch The Searchers? Uh, you can. It is available for digital rental and purchase on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, Vudu, and it's also pretty readily available on DVD and Blu-ray. Uh, I have the, and I think you have the same one. I have the Blu-ray version that has uh, The Searchers. It's a triple feature with The Searchers, um, How the West Was Won, and The Wild Bunch on it. Yeah, that's the same one I have, and I got it for like ten bucks. Yeah, so. it's it's a it's a good it's for a good th- bargain. For three classics, it's like it's I mean, a, you can't go wrong. It's a good bargain. Now, how the West was won is a little long in the tooth, uh, but it's 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 kind of um it's kind of an interesting watch because of the whole Cinerama technology that they had back then. Uh, but it it does run a little long, and you're kind of yeah. Like, is it like three hours? It's three hours, and you're kind of like okay, move it along now, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it's not a bad film. It's pretty it's it's pretty decent film. I'd recommend it. Um. Now, before we get to – before we fire up the random movie generator, I did want to kind of add, do a, a new feature uh, that I want to do from, from this point forward. And it's uh, this week in film history. And I'm just going to kind of talk about a little bit of the movies that came out this week uh, in, history, in the history of film. Uh, and now we are recording this on August 7th. So for the week of August 7th through the 13th, here are some of the films that came out in, uh, in history. Uh, in 1992, on August 7th, uh, another Western, the movie Unforgiven, was released. Oh, nice. It's a great uh, Clint Eastwood film. Too bad Clint Eastwood has lost his mind recently. Clint but... Eastwood has kind of lost his mind recently, and it's a little, it's a bit of a shame. I still love the man, but uh, and I, I can't I can't say that I agree with any of his politics uh, and, and his kind of cranky old age. He's talking to chairs and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't necessarily consider this film, uh, this next film, a classic, but I know it's one of your favorite films, so I thought I'd mention it in 
in this week in history in 2009, uh, the film 500 Days of Summer came out. Yes. Freaking my personal favorite romantic comedy ever. Hopefully we get to talk about it on the show one day because it's just that just that film has so many layers. I can't even get into it now because I'll never stop talking. (laughs) It is is a good film. It is a good film. Also this week on August 8th, uh, 1986, Stand By Me was released. It's an awesome, awesome film. On August 9th, 1989, The Abyss was released. Uh, The James Cameron movie. Have you ever seen The Abyss? I have not seen it, but I've heard of it. It is a... It's a... It's it's kind of... James Cameron spending a lot of money like he usually does. Uh, but this is about eight or nine years before Titanic, uh, and it's all underwater, and he basically built an enormous tank, like enormous giant water tank, and filmed everything underwater, and it was a crazy amount of money was spent on this movie. <laughs> uh, but great great special effects. August 11th in 1973, uh, American Graffiti was released. Uh, all right. And in 1976, that same day, The Shootist, another John Wayne film, I think – if not his last, one of his last films before he died. Um, August 12th, the first uh, Best Picture winner of all time, Wings, was released. Uh, oh, Wings is awesome. It's a great film because what I love about that film is that the, all the plane stunts are real. Yeah, It's just people yeah. flying in planes and, 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 and have cameras attached to planes and stuff. It's fantastic yeah. imagery. Uh, the 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 story is not great, but the imagery is fantastic. Uh, I first saw that film about five years ago when they did when because TCM always does like the Oscar month when the Academy Awards are coming oh, up. I, and, I love uh, Oscar month. They TCM. showed Wings during that whole marathon thing, so 30, that was awesome. Thirty-one days of Oscar, I think they call it, right? Yeah. And finally, uh, this week in film history, on August thirteenth, in nineteen forty-two, uh, Bambi premiered uh, in in uh, in theaters nationwide, and also ruining children's childhoods. Ever since, um, but uh, yeah, I haven't classic. watched it since I was a child. Have you seen it recently? Yeah, I saw it recently to prepare for the show that I can never apparently record. So, <laughs> is it is it still as traumatic? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah, that 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 scene definitely is is a, is a tearjerker, and then even the end is kind of like very kind of not anticlimactic, but very like it's it's, it's very. Uh, powerful i think and i wish i could talk about it more right now but you know we got we got to go okay and then finally last movie released the uh, notable film released this week in history was in 1967 bonnie and clyde oh that's a great one i have that i have that on dvd i haven't upgraded to blu-ray yet i'm hoping for like a anniversary edition to come out one day but isn't that the film that kind of like once that came out they basically said screw the Hayes code we're doing whatever they want what we want from now on it, it yeah. kind of jump started the new hollywood in era a little bit like i think easy rider gets a lot of credit but i think bonnie and clyde kind of jump started that era yeah because when i look back on, on that era like the post Hayes code hollywood like everybody brings up bonnie and clyde as being like the the innovator the one that kind of started that whole downhill trend of like you know Screw censorship. We're going to do what we want in our films now. Yeah. It's a fantastic film, and uh, everyone should go out and see it. So now, speaking of what you should go out and see, uh, now it's time for the random movie generator. All right. I'm excited, man. And we're going to find out. We're going to fire this guy up, find out what our next film will be. Now, uh, just a a forewarning to you folks out there, uh, because of some uh, scheduling issues that we're going to have for the month of August, we're, the next episode probably won't be for a little bit, probably because we have to go on a little bit of a hiatus uh, because of our real lives are going to get in the way here. Um, but we will be back. That's not going to be a problem. Uh, but we just we, we just need to take a little bit, bit of time off. 
Yes, sir. Uh, but we will be back, and we will be back. Uh, let's see here. Uh, let's see what the random movie generator has picked. Uh-oh. And we're coming back with a vengeance. Oh. <laughs> we are coming lay, back lay with a me, vengeance. And uh, we are going to come back with the film that started it all in the blockbuster era. Jaws from 1975. Yes. yes. Now, this is going to be interesting because um, I do have that film planned for, for a future for perspective. I know that's Mr. Eddie's favorite movie. So he wants to come on and talk about it when we do our My Favorite Film. But I love that we're going to get to do essential films first and kind of like kind of get all the meat and potatoes up before we kind of get silly with our with our other our other show on Jaws. But yeah, I'm excited so, for this one. So so we'll have we'll have the serious analytical discussion on this show and then we'll we'll go wacky with Mr. Eddie on Force Perspective. Yes, sir. All right. So so Jaws is on, is going to be our next show. Uh, and just because. Um, you know, we do at the end of every episode uh, tell you where it's available, but we should probably tell you where it's available before the next episode. So uh, I'm pretty sure. Let me just double check it real quick. That Jaws is available. It's definitely available on Amazon for digital rental and iTunes, and it's definitely available uh, DVD and Blu-ray. Uh, so uh, you should be able to find it in any regular format. Absolutely. Okay, so that does it for our show this week. Uh, make sure that you look forward to our next uh, episode on Jaws. Uh, please visit us at EssentialFilmsPodcast.com. Email me at EssentialFilmsPodcast at gmail.com. And like The Essential Films on Facebook and follow at Essential Films on Twitter. And please like, rate, review, and subscribe to this show on iTunes uh, to get us uh, more eyes on our product, more ears, I should say, on our product. Uh, now, Mark, would you uh, like to take over and uh, any plugs that you'd like to ha- uh, put out there uh let's see so of course let's plug a little bit of force perspective um by the time this drops episode 82 will be hitting the airwaves where we talk about some of like the past films of you know this summer you know some of the more uh not some of the more recent ones we're going to do that later on but like we did independence day here finding dory we did a uh, purge election year ghostbusters so we had a fun time talking about all those films so definitely check that out as well on a geekdom101.com right now. All right, and where can we find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at sportsguy515. Just give me a follow. I'll return the favor likewise. So there you go. All right. Well, that'll about do it for us this week. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, thank, and we hope you enjoyed our discussion of the searches. We'll be back with a discussion of Jaws for Mr. Mark Espinoza. I'm Adolfo Acosta signing off. Uh, until next time. That'll be the day. Oh.